Amen. Well, good evening, Orchard Hills. Not, not good morning. It's exciting to uh, be together in, in the evening for a service. So thanks for coming out. Uh, my name is Sutton Wirt. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, welcome to everyone here in the room and those who are watching online tonight. Uh, we're really glad that you're here. So today is Ash Wednesday. That's why you're here. Um, but maybe you're like, why, why are you guys saying Happy Valentine's Day? Here's some ash on your forehead and don't forget you're going to die. Like, that's kind of morbid almost, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of strange. Um, and so tonight what I'd like to do is I'd like to explain uh, some of the why behind Lent and Ash Wednesday, where it comes from, what it means, um, and then also look to Scripture um, to give meaning and purpose to what we're doing here together tonight. So that's my plan. That's where I'm headed. And uh, I'd just like to pray again, if you don't mind, to get us started. So, Lord Jesus, we, um, yeah, just want to give this time to you. We want to know you more. Uh, we want to see the beauty of your gospel. Um, Lord, we remember uh, when you began your public ministry um, that you said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray that you would grant us repentance, that you would give us a change of direction in our hearts tonight, um, that for all the ways we've been running uh, a different direction, that we would turn around and run to you and believe the good news. Um, so we pray that that would, would happen in our midst here tonight, and we give this time to you in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so Lent, uh, it is one of the two big cycles of the church calendar. So the church calendar kind of builds time, so to speak, around the life of Jesus. And so the first big cycle is Advent, uh, leading up to the celebration of Christmas, which we just celebrated in December. And the second big cycle is Lent, which begins with Ash Wednesday, and then is this 40-day period of fasting, repentance, prayer, and it ends with Easter. Um, so Lent, uh, it comes from a word that means uh, to lengthen. So it just refers to the lengthening of days in the springtime, which we're all glad for. Um, but it is this time where we are deliberately um, leaning into uh, kind of introspection, um, into repentance, fasting, prayer, denying ourselves, examining our hearts, and preparing our hearts for the celebration of Easter, where we celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus and all that that means for us as his people. So this period of preparation began uh, in the early days of the church as just kind of a few days of fasting before Easter Sunday. Um, but eventually, by the 7th century, it was built out into this 40-day uh, time of repentance and fasting that we still observe today. Um, and so that kind of brings me to something that I want to point out to you. Neither Advent nor Lent are uh, mandatory parts of participation in Jesus and his church. Okay, so neither Lent nor, uh, nor Advent are seasons in which you are required by God to participate. I think for some of that's con for some of us, that's confusing, especially if we come from a Catholic background where in the Catholic Church you are required uh, to participate in those things. But I want to make it clear, the Bible does not talk about those seasons. These are not uh, 
from Scripture. The Lord and his apostles don't command them. And so we, as people who believe the Bible, are not going to command them either. Um, you are not bound by the Lord uh, to participate in the church calendar. But we do believe, we do believe that there is great value in intentionally shaping your life around the, the regular celebrations of the events of Christ's life. And we do believe there is great value in joining with the church around the world, and not only around the world, but throughout history, in shaping your life, in your celebrations around the life of Jesus as we fast together and as we feast together and the anticipation of the return of our King. And so while certainly not mandatory, we do believe that these seasons and rhythms are helpful as we seek to grow as disciples of Jesus um, and as we seek to become more like him. So I hope that uh, is clarifying and, and makes a little sense to you. Um, like I said, the emphasis of Lent is on repentance, fasting, prayer. Um, and so oftentimes, uh, people will practice fasting during Lent, uh, the, the practice of giving something up um, in order to give more time to prayer and in order to deny yourself, to recognize um, that we are people who are constantly longing to be filled. And so to, to take that longing and to physically deny yourself something in order to direct that longing toward Christ. Um, so for you, this might look like giving up uh, a meal a day during Lent. A lot of people, that, that's kind of extreme. So some people will give up a meal a week, maybe like lunch on a Wednesday. Um, some people will give up a comfort of some kind, like chocolate or soda or coffee. Um, one year I gave up my slippers because that's like one of my favorite comforts in the world. Um, but giving up a comfort so that you then take the, the longing to be comforted by that thing and every time you feel it, you turn it to Jesus. And you remember what the Heidelberg Catechism says that he, Christ, is our only comfort in life and in death. And so when we practice self-denial, when we practice fasting, we're practicing with our body what Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so that's kind of what fasting is about. Now, if you're like, I'm going to give up lying for Lent, or I'm going to give up gossiping for Lent, um, you're doing it wrong. Um, we, and this is key, we do not fast from sins. We repent from sins, right? We do not say, I'm going to take a break from that sin. We say, no, I'm going to repent. I'm going to stop doing that. And I'm going to go the other way. I am going to kill it by the power of the spirit. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And I'm going to, by the power of the spirit and by the grace of God, run towards things that are life-giving. So um, we don't fast from sins, we repent from them, and that's part of what we're here to do tonight. Fasting uh, is, is not really something that Scripture commands. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount seems to indicate that, that he expects we will fast as a part of our lives, but repentance is absolutely commanded in Scripture, and it's what Jesus begins his ministry with, and so we want 
uh, that to be front and center. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that today is 46 days uh, until Easter, not 40 days. Um, and that's because Sundays are not observed in the fast of Lent. Um, and so oftentimes, if people are giving something up for Lent on Sundays, they'll enjoy that thing uh, as a feast day, as a recognition that every Sunday is the Lord's day. Every Sunday is a little resurrection day as we look forward in hope to the celebration of Easter and as we look forward in hope to the great resurrection day that is still to come for the people of God. Um, and so, again, uh, fasting, observing these seasons aren't mandatory, um, but are they helpful? I think so. I think so. Um, and I think that's an important distinction to make. So, Lent, Ash Wednesday, fasting, ashes. Why, why the ashes? Well, as we put on the ashes, which we're, we're going to do here in a little bit, um, we say, remember that you're dust and to dust you will return. Um, why do we say that? Well, one of my favorite books in the Bible is Ecclesiastes. Um, it is kind of dark and intense. I mean, it's got like, it's very much like a punk rock emo vibe. Um, and I love it. And there's this great section in chapter 7 um, of Ecclesiastes where the author um, says, it's better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting. It's better to go to a funeral than a party, is what he's saying. Why does he say that? Well, I believe what he's saying is that it's better to remember that you will die now when you can change the way that you're living instead of getting to the end of your life and realizing, man, I would have done that totally different if I had thought about this from the perspective of being at the end of my life. Better to remember now that one day you will die than to get to the end of your life and think, man, I wish I had done that totally different. I've been living for all the wrong things. And so the invitation is to go ahead and play it all the way to the end. And so part of what we're doing here tonight is recognizing that we will die, every one of us. We live in mortal bodies that are, are subject to the brokenness that has been introduced to this world by sin. We will die. And so in light of that, how should we now live? Well, the invitation of Ecclesiastes and really the rest of the Bible is to stop living for the here and now and to start living for eternity. To stop living for the here and now and to start living for eternity. Or as Jesus would say it in the Sermon on the Mount, to store up treasures in heaven rather than on earth. Or as we would say it here at Orchard Hills, to be people who are investing in people for the sake of eternity. When we get to the end of our life, that's what's going to matter. Not living for our own selfish pleasures and comforts here and now. So the ashes and what we say as we put them on remind us to live soberly and intentionally in light of the fact that we will die. And they also remind us of the reason for that death the reason that the world is broken and the reason that we still experience death. And that reason, the Bible tells us, is sin. So turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, we'll just look at this briefly. Um, it's on page, uh, page 3 of your church Bibles, if 
you want to grab one in front of you if you don't have one with you. In Genesis, we see in the first two chapters the beginning of this big story that you and I are living in the midst of today. Um, that in the beginning, God created a world that was beautiful and good, uh, that didn't have sin or death in it. A world in which God and man were in right relationship with one another, in which humans were in right relationship with each other. But Genesis 3 shows us that in the midst of that perfection, man is tempted and chooses, rather than to listen to the words of God um, and to trust his command, but instead to rebel and to go his own way and to do his own thing um, and really redefine good and evil for himself. And that plunges the world into darkness. Um, Sin brings death. And so God uh, makes that clear when he confronts the the man and the woman and the serpent. Um, He pronounces a curse on the serpent and on the earth, on the ground. And he says that the woman will have pain in childbirth and that the man will have toil and frustration in his work. And then this is what God says to Adam. This is Again, Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's where that comes from, and that's what we're going to say here in a moment. Now, friends, this is really sad and horrible news. Um, The work that God gave to humans to be fruitful and to multiply, to to fill the earth and subdue it, to work the ground and to cultivate it. Now those tasks, that mission will be hopelessly frustrated and, and painful. And humans who were created to live forever will now unnaturally go through this reversal of creation where they will age and decay and die. Their bodies will be separated from their spirits in a way that they were not meant to be. And so, church, I want you to know this tonight, that if you are feeling the pain and the ache that comes from the the suffering of living in this broken world, then you are right to feel that way. You should feel that way. This is not the life that you were created for. You were not made to die. Rather, death and pain and suffering are a result of our sin that has broken the good world that God created. The world that we live in now is but a shadow of the world that it was meant to be. Babies die and children get cancer. Wars rip families apart and rip nations apart. Friends become enemies. Hatred fills the hearts of humanity. People get sick and starve and suffer and die over and over every day. And sometimes 
It's overwhelming, isn't it? It's not supposed to be this way. And so what then is our hope? In the midst of the news that we will die, what is our hope? Well, let's fast forward to the New Testament. There, we begin by witnessing the miraculous birth of the one that God in his curse on the serpent says will come forth as an offspring to crush the head of that same serpent and to undo the curse that creation received on that horrible day. Jesus is born into the world, the the promised Messiah, Messiah and Savior that was awaited ever since Genesis 3. Jesus is fully man, just like us, And he's also fully God. And so unlike us, he is tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Without sin. And so this leads Paul to call him the last Adam. And what he means by that is that Jesus is the beginning of a whole new kind of creation. And so Jesus lives this perfect life, this life that we were intended to live and right relationship with God and with others, free from sin. Jesus then dies this sacrificial death that he's able to die because he has not sinned. He's not dying because of his own sin. He is dying for the sin of others, you and me. And then he rises from the dead three days later, showing that God received that sacrifice, that the Father said, it is enough, it is sufficient. That is is vindication for Jesus and for all of us, and proof that one day we too will rise with him. Everything that Jesus said was true. And so listen to the way that Paul compares Adam and Jesus. It says Romans 5, 18 and 21. He says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life. For everyone. So, just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's good news. Amen. Friends, I want you to know today that if you are struggling under the weight of sin, if you are feeling the pain and the sorrow that the brokenness of this world brings, then there is hope. There is hope. Jesus alone is our hope. And in him, we have been given right relationship, right standing with God. We've been given new life now in our spirits and later new life in the resurrection that is to come. He is our resurrected king who restores what was lost to us in Eden. He is the hope of our own resurrection. And all of this that Christ offers, this new life in him, this eternal life, we receive it by turning from our own way, repenting, and trusting in him alone for our salvation. Repentance and faith is the beginning of the Christian life, and it is the constant movement of growing as a disciple of Jesus. We repent, we turn from our own way, we move towards God, and we have faith. We put our confidence and our hope and our trust 
in him. That's how we take hold of this life that Jesus offers. That is the glorious hope that we have. And that's not all. So look here at another place where Paul compares Christ and Adam. This one's in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 through 49. It says, The Scripture tells us, The first man, Adam, became a living person. That's Paul quoting Genesis 2. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. So he's talking about our resurrection. He's saying we've got this natural body, and though we're made new inside, we still live in a body that, that feels the effects of sin and that one day will die. But later comes this spiritual body, not a body that's like ethereal and ghostly. But when he says spiritual, what he means is the same kind of body that Jesus walked out of the grave with, a body that is spiritized, that's empowered by the Holy Spirit to never die again, a body that can inhabit the new heavens and the new earth. That's what Paul means here. And so he says, Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man. And heavenly people are like the heavenly man. And so just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. Amen? So when we come to Jesus, he gives us this new life inside of us, this eternal life. He regenerates us is the word uh, that's used in theology. He regenerates us and puts a new heart inside of us. But like I said, we still live in this broken body. And so what we experience now, this death and suffering and sorrow that we still experience now is not the fullness of what God has planned for us. But the promise of scriptures is that just like Jesus was raised from the dead, so too will we be raised from the dead. And so our hope then is not only that someday when we die, we will go to heaven to be with Jesus. And that is a glorious hope. But our hope is that that is not the end, that just our, our body being dead while our spirit is with Christ, that is not the fullness of our hope. The fullness of our hope is that one day Jesus will return, our bodies will be resurrected, raised up, empowered. There'll be spiritual bodies, bodies that are spiritized and enabled to live in the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth, where righteousness dwells, where there is no more sin, where there is no more death, where there is no more decay, and we live forever in right relationship with God and with each other. That's the fullness of our hope. That is what Jesus came for, what he died for, what he rose for. And so even as we remember tonight that we will die, this body will, unless Jesus returns, this body will go into the ground and decay. But that will merely be the planting of a seed that one day the Lord Jesus will call forth to come out of the tomb, come out of the fire, come out of the water, wherever it is, to, and put back together and raise up to new life and will never die again. That is our hope. That is what Jesus offers us in the gospel. So friends, I long for that day of resurrection. And I hope you too long for that day of resurrection. And so as we turn to a time of, of 
really sobriety and, and repenting of our sin and examining of, of our life and seeing all the ways that we have failed um, to live like Jesus is our king, um, as we examine the ways that we've not lived in light of eternity, but we're living for the here and now in our own selfish comforts and pleasures, as we do that tonight, as we receive the ashes, and as we remember our death, may we not do that in despair, but in hope, in hope of the resurrection to come, in hope of, of Easter, a day where 46 days from now we'll laugh and rejoice and feast together as friends and family, but really in hope of that great resurrection day when Jesus returns, when there's a wedding of Christ and his church, and there's a feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb that God himself will prepare. That's a celebration worth hoping for. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you offer us so much in the good news. It is inexhaustible and it is rich and we are undeserving of a fraction of it. And yet you have, have given yourself to us and we praise you for that. Jesus, as we examine our lives today and, and over the coming period of Lent as we look forward to Easter, um, Lord, would you gently but firmly point out to us ways in which we are not uh, living for you, ways in which we are not surrendered to you, ways in which we are trying to go our own way and do our own thing and not living in light of eternity. Lord, for all who feel the weight of sin and death and the sorrow of living here uh, tonight, would you encourage them with the hope of resurrection? Lord, even as you humble us, would you do it in order to raise us up? Jesus, thanks for setting that example for us. May our hearts be humbled before you tonight, repentant, but also full of faith, trusting and, and, and confident in your good character and what you've done for us in the past, what you're doing for us even now, maybe though we can't see it in the present, and what you are going to do in the future. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.